0: Welcome to Crawl Space. I'm Tim here today with Lance. What's up, Lance?
1: Not too much. How's it going?
0: Going well. We just recorded a Facebook Live show, which is uh, part of what we do here on Crawl Space. We're we're coming at you from all angles. Yep,
1: we uh, were nestled in here with uh with Chloe, and that was
0: awesome. And we were talking about
1: current events, current crime events, the uh, the incident in Springfield, Springfield the, Mass, Springfield Massachusetts, with the uh, the man who has. Um, He's been arrested and uh, not charged, but in connection with uh, three bodies that were found in and around his property, and we had our friend Otavia Zapala on from the Missing Alyssa podcast to talk about the Scottsdale, Arizona
0: shootings. That's right. So we had uh, her on here at the beginning, the first half of this show, and just wanted to remind you and invite you to listen to her podcast, Missing Alyssa, about a young woman named Alyssa Turney who went missing, and it is pretty widely believed to be her stepfather uh, being responsible for for making her uh, go missing. And a couple of things about that, uh, we talk about a Sarah in the chat room, and that, of course, is Sarah Turney, who is Alyssa Turney, the missing Alyssa Turney's half-sister. And so part of this conversation with Octavia is about the Scottsdale shootings, but also part of it is about uh, the case that she covers because we were – Thinking that Michael Turney might have been the man behind these shootings at first,
1: right? The um, coincidence right off the bat was that the man, Doctor Pitt, who was a criminal psychologist, so he uh, he was one of the victims. He was the first victim, and it was uh, he's connected to Michael Turney because he uh, evaluated Michael when Michael was arrested for his manifesto and the uh, the mass spree that he was planning on going
0: on right so just when you hear that stuff just wanted to give you a little context uh in case it was shorthand during the live show also we wanted to speaking of live shows we wanted to uh invite you to come to our next live show it is on june 24th 2018 at 6 p.m at the rockwell theater in somerville's davis square of course we're talking about massachusetts what are we going to see, Lance?
1: We are going to see an extended cut of the documentary featuring our trip to Canada with James Renner. It's the first segment uh, of the documentary, and it sort of represents our first uh, introduction to the Moore Murray case. And going down that rabbit hole, and the first person who introduced us to the rabbit hole, of course, was James Renner. We showed a cut of this at CrimeCon. It was a limited cut, and this is going to be a slightly extended cut of uh, Finding Moore Murray segment one.
0: Yeah, Quebec
1: Search. Quebec Search, and it's brought to you by our friends at PI Magazine. So we're going to try to get into the habit of saying PI Magazine presents Finding More Murray at the Rockwell, Davis Square,
0: Somerville. June twenty fourth, six PM. Yeah, show starts at six thirty. Right, and tickets are fifteen dollars, but five of those dollars goes right to the GoFundMe that we are working on with Maggie Freeling. That is to raise funds for searching for searches, uh, specifically ground penetrating radar searches in the Murray case. Uh, some areas we have uh, marked. Also, the remainder of that going to a reward for credible information. So this is a, a worthy cause to add some funds to.
1: Go to CrawlSpacePodcast.com. You'll see the link that says Finding More Murray uh, Tickets. And, uh, yeah, real easy to purchase them right on the website. Or you can go to doc.com and there'll be a link right there to purchase tickets as well kudos to everybody who has contributed to the fund already. It's over $7,000 so like you said, the primary goal for this is to do the ground penetrating radar. The remainder would be for billboards, um, reward money, accommodations for any searches that could happen so it's really anything that has to do with finding answers for Moore's disappearance and just to reiterate, tickets that you buy, you spend $15, $5 of that ticket price goes towards the GoFundMe and our show is at the end of June so that gives us pretty much an entire summer to use this, this additional money and
0: it could be it it could be it could be huge it Absolutely. could be a, a difference maker yeah so please come see that and we're going to be doing a QA um, and a afterwards and as well with our director of photography who accompanied us on this trip to Canada his name is Josh Leonard not the Josh Leonard from the Blair Witch project
1: no, we have our Josh Leonard, and he. Uh, I'm grateful that we're working <laughs> with this Josh Leonard. Uh, I've never worked with a Josh Leonard from the Blair Witch Project, but I feel like he's. Um, I feel like he's got his own genre thing going.
0: Yeah, yeah, he's got his own thing. We got Joshua F. Leonard, who is uh, pretty awesome.
1: So, in addition to the five dollars that will come out of your ticket cost, the fifteen dollars five goes to the GoFundMe. I just want to read an email from the publishers, uh, James and Nicole, of our sponsor, PI Magazine. Uh, they did their final production meeting for the upcoming issue of PI Magazine. He said everyone was impressed and completely entrenched with the show and the case, uh, including ones that had never heard of Moore Murray before, which is still kind of surprising to us that... There's a community that hasn't heard about this. It's surprising and also inspiring that you can still reach a community that hasn't heard about it. Um, And Nicole and James were impressed by people donating $5 from the ticket price of the live show. So what they are offering is the regular subscription rate for the magazine is $39. They're going to offer everyone in attendance at the show a discounted rate of $29. So this is an annual subscription. If you go to the show, there'll be a promo code. $29 for the annual one. That's $10 off, and they're going to contribute $5 from that
0: to the GoFundMe as well. Beautiful. So thanks to PI Magazine for being our generous sponsor for Finding More Murray Live at the Rockwell in June, June 24th. So come see us. It'll be a lot of fun. And also, before we play this audio from our Facebook Live session, just wanted to let you know that this episode is brought to you commercial-free. By our other podcast, Empty Frames.
1: Empty Frames is a Crawl Space production which focuses on the 1990 Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum heist. It is the most expensive art heist in American history. We're talking $500 million worth of artwork that has never been recovered from the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum
0: in Boston. A friend recently told me that it was over a billion now, Lance.
1: Well, perhaps this friend is somebody who people listening to the show or if you haven't listened to the show will be able to hear directly from in an upcoming episode
0: yes i think you're right so yeah if you're not listening to empty frames yet what are you waiting for it's just really it's a really great podcast so check that out and thank you very much for listening follow us on twitter at crawlspace pod we're on facebook we're on instagram and we will be back soon doing more of these facebook live shows so catch us there as well So we wanted to talk to you today, Otavia, about these uh, Scottsdale shootings. And now you're out there in Arizona.
2: Yes, I'm in Phoenix.
0: I realize how close Scottsdale was to Phoenix um, after a quick Google search. That must have been a pretty terrifying um, moment in time.
2: Yes. So Scottsdale is part of the greater Phoenix area. And um, not only are we close in geographically, but also there's a connection there with the Alyssa Turney case because so on Thursday, when we heard that Dr. Stephen Pitt was shot and that the suspect was, uh, that, you know, hadn't been caught, hadn't been named, we, um, Sarah and I were actually really worried because Dr. Pitt had evaluated Michael Turney for the court. Um, and he had basically, he had said Michael Turney is a very dangerous man. Um, you know, he had told the judge he's very dangerous. I think that, Um, when he comes out, he, it's likely that he will hurt somebody else. So, um, that being said, and Michael Turney being very vindictive, we thought there is a chance that, you know, um, it could have been him. However, we, we do know that Dr. Pitt, you know, worked on many high profile cases. So there was just a small chance.
1: Right. So we thought that there was going to be some breaking news with Alyssa's case because of this connection. And it seemed like it, it seemed like it would have made sense too. Um that uh that Dr. Pitt uh was also connected to um the John Banave Ramsey case. I mean he was a really he had television shows, right? And he was consulted on a number of high profile cases and um including yeah. on Columbine as well. Was he was a he was a counselor right. for yeah. So he was in
2: the task force maybe.
1: Yeah. So, um, it it did seem like this guy. Either way, we, I mean, we obviously have lost a pretty amazing person with uh, Stephen Pitt. But what was his connection to uh, the the suspect in the in the in the uh, Scottsdale shootings?
2: To the suspect, you know, um, I think that he had worked on a divorce case with uh, that that individual, but I'm not too familiar with that case. Um, but it's strange because I had spoken to Dr. Pitt on the phone and just, you know, I was in disbelief with the connection there and how I didn't in, end up interviewing him on the podcast, but it was, it was very close. So it was frightening. And I think everyone was relieved to find out that, um, that a suspect was identified and that he is no longer living. And also we were relieved to know that it wasn't connected to the Alyssa attorney case, obviously.
1: Oh, really? Yeah, I, I would have... Um, yeah, I guess it would have been tragic if it had been connected to Alyssa's attorney's case. Um, just knowing... But fr-
2: frightening for everyone involved. I mean, for us yeah. involved. Yeah, I would say I mean. so.
0: Yeah, and, and actually that we sent you a me- an email because, um, you know, we we saw your post um, about this suspect and the this initial shooting and we're like, holy crap, the, the composite sketch actually... Kinda could look like Michael Turney if you uh, squinted a little bit.
2: That's what a lot of people said. It wasn't, it wasn't incompatible with Michael Turney. Right. It actually yeah. looks it more like
1: been. yeah. It looks more like Michael Turney than Dwight Lamone Jones looks like that composite That's sketch. That's right.
2: Because they said it was a white man, so it just yeah.
0: Wow. Yeah, and a bald guy, which uh, I believe Turney is bald at this point.
2: But a bald guy with a hat, so how would you really know he was bald? So it was it was a bit strange.
0: Good question.
1: That whole situation there occurred over the course of what, four days? Like Thursday to Sunday? Is that what it was?
2: Thursday is when the first one happened. The other two were Friday. And I don't recall if the latest one, Marshall Levine, was Saturday or Sunday.
0: Okay, and then apparently Dwight Lamone Jones uh, shot two other people, and investigators are still trying to find out... Um, if his last two victims, a man and a woman, found inside a house on Monday were linked to the divorce. So apparently all this had to do with him being upset about some some his divorce.
1: Yeah, it seemed like everyone that was connected to the killings had something to do with some aspect of his divorce. Yeah. The, the counselor and then those the two paralegals who just also seemed like they might have been in the wrong place at the wrong time. He went to go see somebody else and... They were there, and they just got in the sort of in the proverbial line of fire.
3: their divorce attorney wasn't in the office at the time, but the two paralegals that he shot were working for that woman. so yeah, wrong place oh, okay. at the wrong time. And I believe that the uh, life coach he shot w- worked with him personally
0: so for you, um Otavia, before this before the suspect was identified, how scary was it for you and w- were you thinking about leaving town? Did you leave town? Like uh I imagine if this really was my I mean this is a close call, right? Like, Professionals said that a, a person, you know, Turney is dangerous and it, it wouldn't have been surprising to anyone if this suspect turned out to be Michael Turney. So where was your head at? Did you leave town or were you thinking about it?
2: No, actually I was quite level headed. I don't know why. Um, but I did get a lot of sweet messages, including from you too. Um on Facebook, people saying, be safe, please uh, give us an update. So I thought that was really sweet. I, Sarah was quite, uh, frightened, not for herself, but just because, you know, she thought, what if he hurts someone else? Um, but no, I mean, I didn't, it didn't cross my mind to leave town. I knew that there was only a small chance that it would have, that it could be related to this case. Like I said, Dr. Pitt worked on so many cases. To be honest, I I would think that um, of all the people that Michael Turney, you know, could be angry with, Dr. Pitt would be there on that list, but not not top, not the top of the list. So
3: I believe Sarah said that he even wrote or created a lecture specifically about Michael Turney and Alyssa's case for um, because he was I think he taught some courses at the University of Arizona
2: he never ended up giving that lecture. We don't know why. Hmm. At the last minute, he canceled it, so we're not really sure. Uh, you know, he also he he wouldn't talk to me. So maybe there's maybe he was just cautious. I'm not really sure.
0: So there were two paralegals, Valeria Sharp and Laura Anderson, who were killed, and a psychologist, Marshall Levine. Um, Chloe, my my question is for you. You're a psychological counselor. Mm-hmm. Does this kind of hit home for you too? The these he attacked your. Your people
3: it's a little stunning to think that someone could come back and harm someone that was trying to help them. Um, I remember reading specifically that Marshall Levine worked with people with anger issues, so it's it's hard when someone makes a commitment to help people in that way and they turn up they turn out being hurt by it. I know that there was um, talk in the divorce attorney community too that people were afraid to go back to work thinking about people being vindictive like that so. Yeah, it, it it does hit home. It's really sad.
1: But you just said it was stunning. But is it really shocking, though? I mean, what you're dealing with is just violence and violence and uh...
3: it's it's kind of like a like a worst case scenario kind of thing. I just don't think this thing really happens that often. Mm. You know, you don't read about people coming back and shooting their divorce attorneys or their own therapists. You know. So, you know, we work with, with people that have criminal histories, people that are violent sometimes even when they're with us. Um, we deal with violent situations on the floor. So it, you think about that, the possibility of someone harming you, but uh, yeah, it was still stunning. I, I just, I can't imagine someone actually coming to my home and, and doing something like that.
2: Mm. Right. It's it's pretty rare, like you said, but it kind of reminds all of us in this field whether we're reporters or psychologists or attorneys or podcast hosts, um, that, you know, we deal with some dangerous people and some, you know, things can happen.
1: Well, hopefully this doesn't become a trend now. Yeah. Because, God damn it, these things always become a trend. You never see it in uh, groups of one. You know, it's always, there's, there's always like two or three more that are around the corner.
3: Yeah. No copycats would be nice. Um, you know, you wonder why... Why is you? I understand. None of this is really understandable, but you understand the motive at least behind targeting the divorce attorney when he's blaming that for the things that went wrong in his life. But it doesn't make much sense to target like a mental health professional.
0: To you and me, uh, Chloe. Yeah. Right. Um, now, now this suspect was tracked at an extended stay hotel in Scottsdale on Monday morning. And what did he do? What happened there, Octavia?
2: He, uh, I believe, they were trying to make entry into his room to arrest him when he shot himself before they they could take him into custody. It doesn't surprise me that he commits suicide because honestly, if you um, if you kill four people that are connected to your case, I mean, it's obvious that they're gonna, you know, the traces are gonna lead back to you. So he he knew that they would come after him. It's kind of a senseless killing spree. If you really wanted to have revenge and keep living, you would have maybe chosen one person to to murder um, as opposed to making the case for yourself.
1: Well he also fired seven or eight shots right when the police came to arrest him they fi- he fired a few shots. I don't know if it was I mean no one got hurt, but the uh, police then evacuated the at least the the floor of the uh, motel or hotel that he was staying at. Does that make any sense to anybody that, I mean, did he want to get shot? I mean, if he wanted to get shot by the cops, why didn't he just run out there with a gun? I guess what you just brought up the suicide thing, which just makes, it really makes no sense to me. You just went on this anger kill spree. And for what? You just, so, so your legacy can live in some sort of infamy and you shoot yourself because you shoot yourself and then your legacy is just kind of like, Oh, you're that, you're that guy who just did this senseless thing. And then, didn't even have the courage to stand for what you thought you were believing in. You shot yourself. I
3: mean, what would life look like for him if he hadn't? You know, that was probably a life he wasn't interested in living,
2: having to answer for everything he had done. Right. Going to prison, I mean, for the rest of his life. So there would have been no point in living.
0: Do we know how the Phoenix and Scottsdale police departments tracked him to that hotel?
2: I do not know. I don't think they've said so.
0: Okay, because I imagine it was a pretty intense manhunt. Um, after after these shootings.
2: Probably. I don't think they re- they haven't released that information.
0: Another
1: uh, another win for DNA, by the way. Why is D- that DNA off of the shell casings? They flew to um, I think they flew from uh, Scottsdale to Phoenix, did the uh, DNA uh, swab of a family member matched it to the DNA that was on the shell casings.
0: And so that's how they identified the suspect.
1: That's how they um like confirmed their. Well, they got this. They got the tip from uh, his ex wife's husband allegedly. That's they didn't say specifically, but his ex wife husband ex wife's husband was a um former investigator, and he saw the relation to the victims and said, these are all people that were involved in your husband's divorce. So I think that's what this article says, that they think that that tipster was her husband, a former investigator, and that's what gave them his name. So then they, they had these DNA, uh, uh, Sam, they had the DNA mm-hmm. from the shell casings and uh, sent out the uh, swabs
0: like ASAP. And I th- guess it took like four hours.
2: Oh, well, if there was a tip, that would make sense then.
0: Yeah. What I don't understand is, is he killed these people who had to do with his divorce, but he didn't actually kill his ex-wife or go after his ex-wife? That's, I guess that's, yeah, that
1: was what I was saying. Like, that's kind of what I was getting at is if you're going on this kill spree and there's a purpose to it, I mean, that it was because of the ex-wife. Why aren't you, where, you you did it to show the ex-wife something, to show the world something about this situation.
2: I think Chloe can probably answer this one, but, you know, there's really no logic when there's madness involved.
3: right. And it does seem like it was a vindictive kind of crime. I've seen cases where an ex will murder people that are close to the to the ex-wife to try to hurt them. Like they'll even go as far as murdering their own children before finally killing themselves because then the their ex-wife has to live with that pain and suffering. But he didn't target his own children. He didn't target anyone that was particularly close to his ex-wife, as far as we know. It was all kind of just people involved in that process. So he might have been blaming his downfall on the people that participated in his divorce rather than his wife herself. I don't know if you guys saw, he had posted YouTube videos that are now taken down, but the title and the descriptions of the video remain. And they're basically short ravings about how He accused his wife of molesting his son and was like, yeah, my wife molested my son. I caught her and now she's divorcing. She divorced me first and now my life's going to be ruined. So he just sounded unhinged from the start. So I feel like, yeah, misplaced anger,
2: maybe. Mm. Those YouTube videos, they seem to be a trend with people that are about to commit mass shootings. Like their own manifesto,
3: their way to express themselves and their message funny that you use that word yeah because Michael Turney wrote a manifesto too yeah and that's honestly I think one of the reasons outside of the composite sketch that made us suspicious of him because of that I don't know if it was the manifesto of a madman martyr but someone with kind of paranoid vindictive fantasies like that it it kind of matches that profile
0: I uh, just want to check in with the chat room. How's it going? Christina's in there. Craig's in there. A lot of familiar names and faces. Jesper. Sarah Turney. Hello. How's it going, hey, Sarah? Sarah? Jason. Um, yeah. How's it going, everybody? If you have any questions for Octavia or about uh, this uh, this case, please chime in and let us know. We are going to talk about what's going on in Springfield, Massachusetts in just a few minutes. So if you have any questions about that or want to chime in there, feel free to write about that as well.
1: I want to go back just real quickly. You said that you talked to Stephen Pitt, Dr. Pitt?
2: I talked to him briefly on the phone. It was a a long time ago. When I was starting to research the podcast, I wanted to, uh, you know, him and Dr. Aaron Nelson worked together to create the report about Michael Turney, uh, but he didn't want to comment. He didn't want to be a part of it. Okay. Okay. Not on this case. You know, there was that precedent where he uh, canceled the lecture at ASU at the last minute. So maybe the two things are connected somehow. He didn't uh, feel safe or feel comfortable talking about this case. I don't know why. He did. He did go on the 2020 about this case uh, ten years ago. And he was involved in
3: specifically the conspiracy case regarding Turney. He wasn't really involved in Alyssa's the investigation regarding her disappearance. It was more about gauging his
2: dangerousness in his trial, right? Exactly. You know what? It, actually, that's a great point. That is probably why he didn't want to comment about Alyssa because that's not, he didn't work on that case. He worked on the bomb, um, on the bomb case. So although he did comment for 2020 about, uh, you know, and that was about Alyssa, but he kind of, he kept it generic. He couldn't get into the details. So that's probably why he didn't want to be on the podcast.
0: So what's next for the Missing Alyssa podcast?
2: I'm working on two more updates. It just keeps going. You know, people come out of the woodworks, uh, you know, after that, after that interview with Michael Turney, I mean, there have been, um, people have reacted very strongly to that. And a couple of people came out to tell me some more information that I wasn't aware of. So it's very interesting stuff. Um, Keep an eye out for those. And also, if you go on my Facebook page, uh, Missing Alyssa, I posted yesterday, um, Sarah created a little clip where, do you know when she went to meet with her father after he was released from prison? And she actually secretly recorded that conversation. And she is um, she has played a little clip from that that is really shocking. So it's only 30 seconds. Go check it out.
0: Excellent. Yeah, we definitely will.
3: Yeah, I heard it. It's really something.
2: Yeah, and I saw that Sarah
3: had posted recently that there are some big things coming up um, regarding the case that she can't really talk about, but stay tuned. So I definitely will.
0: Here's that clip real quick from your Facebook page. Be there at the deathbed, Sarah, and I'll give you all the honest answers you
2: want to hear.
0: Why don't you get with me now?
2: Because you got them now.
3: Then why are you making me this offer to go to your deathbed? I don't know, Sarah. What are you looking
0: for? Okay.
2: Not sure if everyone heard that first part, if it was a good enough sound.
0: What happens in the very beginning?
2: He said, um, be there at the deathbed, Sarah. Right.
0: Okay.
3: So that's a father talking to his own daughter when she asks for answers about her sister's disappearance. Be there at the deathbed, Sarah, and I'll give you all the honest answers you want to hear.
0: So he said, be there at the deathbed, Sarah, and I'll give you all the honest answers you want to hear.
2: Right. So he's inviting her. He actually backpedals, I think, in my interview. He says, that's not what I meant by that, what I meant, you know, and I don't know, he makes some, he gives some explanation for that, you know, saying that's not what I, that's not how I meant it.
1: Seems, it seems rather, um, Suspicious that somebody makes a proclamation like that. Be there at the deathbed, and I'll give you all the answers. And then once questioned about it, like within that same thirty-second clip right there, he says, "What are you looking for?" It's like, "What? What do you? Why did yeah, you? What did you mean? What man? did you mean?" Yeah, you, you, you started it by saying, "Be there at the deathbed." It's insane.
3: He just has an answer for everything. It seems like just from listening to uh, the recap of Sarah's conversation with him and hearing the recording of your conversation with him, he. He, You can call him out on all of the inconsistencies, and he just laughs it off and makes a vague explanation that really doesn't make any sense. But it, he's never really made a good argument to defending his own innocence, in my opinion.
2: No convincing arguments there. That's right. Yeah. He changes the subject when, uh, when qu- he doesn't know how to answer a question.
1: It feels to me like he enjoys the dancing around and eluding p- people that that might make him feel a lot smarter than he is, that he can give these half answers and half truths. And then when he's really questioned, say, like, well, you just you just interpreted it wrong. He th- I think he I don't know. It feels to me like he likes flying that close to the sun.
3: Sarah just commented so horrible. This statement haunts me. Um, can't even imagine what you're going through. Um, thank you for putting yourself out there and for releasing this footage for us. Yeah.
0: Yeah, thank you very much Sarah and Otavia. Um thank you Otavia for joining us here today. Um we appreciate it and uh any any update on your new podcast yet?
2: Um I can't say. <laughs> I knew you were going <laughs> to say that. I'll keep you in the loop. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, so now let's pivot to what's going on in Springfield, Massachusetts, uh, which is pretty effing wild, huh, guys? This is a mere 48 miles from where we're currently sitting, uh, Page Boulevard in Springfield, Massachusetts. As of Friday morning, authorities found three bodies in and around the Springfield home where this guy Stuart Weldon was a resident. Technically, his mom's house. Right,
1: lived there probably rent free. That's that, just that's me speculation. Speculating, but that is speculation, <laughs> I'm just Lance. Speculating, he was uh, he, he was unemployed, so I'm saying he didn't have a lot of probably didn't have a lot of urgency to pay rent there. Um, but you have to read these articles like three or four times to even wrap your head one around how. Often this man had been arrested. Um, he was a he was a repeat offender. Um, and his MO was the same. They always would, it would be a car chase. He'd try to ram the cops with his car. He bit a cop. Uh, they'd find a knife on him. He would do some time or he would get it. But it, we were just talking about this earlier. What's the logic behind always uh, pleading not guilty? Because he pled not guilty to all of these charges, including what just happened.
0: It's just typical.
3: Yeah. I think. It depends on, I don't know if he represented himself or if he had uh, guidance from an attorney. But
0: Yeah, he had a a court-appointed attorney.
3: Yeah, it's possible that they were advising him to do so based on uh, inconsistencies in the case. If the police did anything wrong that they might have been able to catch, it's possible that he just figured might as well try, um, put it in front of a jury, try to prove it, rather than just conceding and saying, yes, I did it. Giving yourself a fighting chance, but it just seems in all of those cases, um, the level of his violence and the evidence he left behind leaves little doubt that he was responsible for these incidents.
0: Right. But I suppose from that perspective, it's like, well, he wasn't caught with the bodies in the house. You know, the bodies were there and he was caught (laughs) elsewhere. So yeah. <laughs> maybe there could be some accompli- accomplice he's going to pin this on or something maybe like that.
1: He, he just didn't know.
3: I don't think. Just <laughs> didn't know. Okay. I think the fact, because what happened was after after he was pulled over uh, and they found his living victim in the passenger seat who was um, in really bad shape. She thought he was going to kill her. She said that he had been holding her captive for a month, repeatedly torturing her, raping her. I believe it was the next day his mother actually informed the police that there was a rank odor in her home. So it's my opinion that the fact that he was apprehended that night, it interrupted his plans to dispose of that body because he had two other bodies that his mother, we can assume, wasn't aware of, and he was able to take care of it. So I think if he had an accomplice, they would have been able to take care of that while he was away. And it wasn't taken care of.
1: Yeah. Well, for for people that are not from the area, maybe we should go through a quick timeline of it. the uh, of the
0: incidents, please. When was he arrested? Was it Monday?
1: No, I believe it was the 27th. It was uh, Sunday the 27th when he was pulled over by the Springfield police for a broken taillight. And then when they got out to approach his car, he drove off and they chased through, uh, through some streets. And uh, I guess he tried to slam or he did slam in reverse his car into a police cruiser. And then they wrestled him uh, to the ground. That's when they found the woman in the car, a 25-year-old woman. One report, I think Mass Live said that he, she was the mother of his two children. So she yeah, okay, so we couldn 't find that on any other report, but mass live said uh, this twenty five year old had stab wounds to her abdomen she it looked like he probably took a, a blunt object, a hammer maybe to to her face, and she had a fractured jaw, said that she'd been kept for a month and repeatedly beaten and raped by him, and she was crying, and told the uh, police officers, thanking them over and over that uh that they saved her life, that she was positive he was going to uh, kill her and she would never get away.
3: It makes you wonder what would have happened if he didn't have a broken taillight. Um, Lou Barry, who we work with for the Brianna Maitland case, he told me that when he was a police officer, he couldn't believe how many drug busts and other crimes he was able to sort of uncover that just started from pulling over someone that was speeding or had a broken taillight, just these little loose ends that... Without those, they otherwise would have gone undetected. So it's kind of amazing that that's how it started, and it ended with him crashing into a police cruiser and then finding a living victim.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Who's still alive, by the way, is going to recover from the injuries,
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, probably has just tales of terror. And she's so far unidentified, right? I believe so. Okay.
3: Um, They reached out to... uh, Stuart Weldon is the perpetrator. They reached out to his aunt... And she had made some comment, and I don't know, things Things are taken out of context, I know. But one of the things that she was quoted as saying, you know, she had compassion and felt sorry for the victim. But she said something like, oh, at least he was he was giving her water and keeping her hydrated. That was just chilling.
1: And according to Springfield officer Daniel Monahan, he wrote, I believe that due to the grotesque and violent nature of the woman, I believe... That due to the grotesque and violent nature of the woman's statements, he's a high flight risk. How often do you hear a police officer use the word grotesque? Yeah. So it makes you wonder what she said to the police after the incident where he was arrested.
3: Yeah. She had a severe infection on her leg where it was really swollen and untreated thing. So she was in really bad shape.
0: And I uh, just want to mention the victims' names here because uh, the, these three bodies that were found in and around the house uh, may not get, you know. The attention the they attention deserve. they deserve, yeah. So, America Leiden, Ernestine Ryans, and Kayla Escalante are the three bodies that were found from this Springfield residence. And two of them had been reported as missing previously, one of them since December.
3: Mm -hmm. And they're all they're all locals of the Western Massachusetts area. Um, Yeah, two of them were reported missing. None of them really received a lot of media attention. I know that one of them had already been reported missing once before. So maybe they didn't take it very seriously. Um, It's possible that these women didn't have a lot of um, a lot of resources or connections that someone who had those connections might have received more attention.
1: Yeah, So going back to uh, him being arrested, he's uh, arrested and he pleads not guilty to nine charges. Nine charges, and this this is before this is on Tuesday, the twenty He pleads gu- not guilty to nine charges, all stemming from that one incident. So, the, some of the nine charges were kidnapping with serious bodily injury, threatened to commit a crime of murder, resisting arrest. So, so he's being arraigned, and then the next day is when they find the DA's office uh, came out and said that two bodies were found in and around the house at thirteen thirty-three Page Boulevard. So, whatever you know, whatever was said between. The woman in the car and police interviewing him, that led that led them to actually search his home. And they found these two bodies in and around.
0: Right. So I wonder if the investigators just went to the residence and then the mom's like, oh, yeah, I've been been meaning to mention uh, there's this really foul odor coming from this house. Like because otherwise it seems a little coincidental, right? That, oh, she just called right when he took off.
3: Yeah. My impression was that she called the next day. And and like I said, maybe he was meaning to take care of it and didn't have the chance to do so. But yeah, it's possible that she only mentioned it once they got there. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I don't
0: want to implicate her or anything like that, but uh yeah. it seems a little weird that this foul odor hits you know right after your son
3: was arrested. Right. And how long had how long had this body been in the garage? I believe that's where they found the first body. I'm not sure exactly where the other two were found, but there was a picture of I believe it was on mass live showing two massive holes, body-sized holes in the backyard of the home. So it's possible that he had buried them. I don't know if they. I don't
0: were, think so. I think, you think they
3: were just looking.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think what happened was they uh, they took this ground-penetrating radar to the property and then they were looking for here's the quote we were looking for objects underneath the surface and then they the police actually dug those holes I believe uh, because the quote is that they were found in and around the house the bodies so
3: right yeah I don't think that I don't think he had left those gaping holes yeah like, I'm sure the police dug them themselves I just don't know if that's where they had found them or not
0: yeah I'm not sure either but but they are potentially expecting more bodies to be uh, found on that property right yeah, they're certainly looking and
1: do a do a google earth search of this residence of the of the of the area and page boulevard is not a back street it's not mm-hmm. this is a this is a pretty busy street and the houses are pretty close to each other and i know there was at least one account of a neighbor who saw him i think on sunday in the rain if you're like frantically digging in the mud
3: with all of his doors and windows open maybe to to air out
1: now that's speculating chloe <laughs> but wow! Not not to joke around, but there were there was that there was that uh, neighbor's account. There was also another neighbor who whose daughter said that he had been following her. They they'd known him as sort of a reclusive type guy, uh, antisocial, and the daughter of this neighbor said that when she would go like walk to work or something or i can't remember when she she was doing it but she would
3: walk to i think she worked at the dunkin donuts and would walk and he would just follow her and it got to the point where she would have her dad walk her to work because she was so creeped out
0: yeah Um, yeah don't take these things lightly out there um not anymore yeah no this is a crazy uh, time we're living in
1: yeah, and you know what? The worst that'll happen is if someone's following you so so much that you get your dad to walk with you, and then you over you react and call the police, and the police question the person. Just don't creepily follow people if you don't have a purpose. And like if for a joke, you know, the 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 fact that you do it in the first place is enough for you to have the cop, cops called on you.
3: Right. So and, fired up. Yeah, and when we think about you know his mo, I was a little bit surprised when I learned that. The woman in his passenger seat was someone that he had a relationship with and was the mother of at least one of his children. It, you know, when you first hear, oh, there was a bunch of bodies found, you think, oh, he snatched people. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like these were people that he maybe had relationships with, and then it became situations of severe domestic abuse, and then. Uh, false imprisonment wouldn't let them leave when they wanted to.
0: Yeah, now I, I know the uh, the attorney general uh, who, or who's handling the case in Massachusetts wouldn't go as far to say this is a serial killer, but uh, it kind of sounds like it's a serial killer.
3: Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the possibility of a, an accomplice. So, I mean, there's other explanations. I just, I can't imagine him not being responsible for these when he was caught red-handed with a living victim that he was planning on killing or she she truly believed that he was going to kill her i mean i couldn't really see her making her way out of that situation alive without that law enforcement intervention
1: maybe maybe i'm off base and i'm missing something but would this be a new type of or a type of killer that we haven't really seen yet because you just said these were people that he had a previous relationship to we already know 3 and the, the fourth one in the car so you know if you look at like a serial killer being successful because they pick their victims at random Mm -hmm. then this person is picking his victims based on knowing them for a while having probably intimate relationships with
3: yeah and and i don't know for sure if he did have personal relationships with the women um that were found dead I, i just know that he had that relationship so i'm speculating there but i suppose it's easier to Establish trust with someone and then abuse that trust than to forcefully abduct someone. But yeah, I, I'm not really familiar with someone with that kind of MO. No.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. If it's not in the intention when you get involved, like I'm not sure either if that's if that's uh, ever been, you know, there's precedent there. Right. That that person's a serial killer. I have no idea. But ultimately that the same result is there. So yeah, I in, think that's in the fair. end,
3: people are dead. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just interesting thinking about how different people mm-hmm. handle it. You know, they, they end up they end up in your house and around your house.
0: Yeah, it's it's pretty creepy. I mean, we we live in Massachusetts, We're, like I said, forty eight miles from this house, uh, essentially right next door. Um, when, when you're talking about the, the scope of the people who listen to our show, uh, you know, from all over the world, so it, it's uh, it's terrifying to have this killer right next door, essentially.
1: Right and just a quick shout out to the Springfield police officers who took him took him in. Yeah. I mean they 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 went about it the right way when you read how how the arrest was made. Um you look at his uh his image, the you know the I think it's a mugshot of him. Looks like he's got a couple of scratches on his head, but it certainly doesn't look like um this man was like you know, beaten to the ground, and you know they did what they had to do to get the knives off of him and to put it, bring him into custody while having this twenty four, twenty five year old woman in the passenger seat, yeah, with clear stab wounds to her stomach and just like beaten and
3: yeah, they did a great job. They did,
1: they did a great job mm-hmm. bringing him in so that he can actually, you know, justice can be served. Yeah,
0: his neighbor Brenda uh, described him as being pretty quiet guy a simple wave a smile nothing from him he wouldn't even look your way sure it takes a while to get to know a new neighbor but he couldn't even do the basics so that's kind of typical right and what we hear from from killers
3: i mean that's definitely it reminds me of what we heard about joseph d'angelo just someone that never smiled someone that just was not friendly to neighbors at all i mean I there are plenty of unfriendly neighbors out there that have their own reasons and aren't necessarily killers, but it's just kind of something that we hear again and again. Speaking of serial killers, did you guys hear that they have officially submitted the Zodiac killer's DNA to a private lab to do that ancestral genealogy? Yes. <laughs> <That's> TikTok. <awesome.
0: laughs> TikTok potentially yeah. for the uh, the Zodiac killer that would be wonderful, as the
1: crawlspace watch says.
0: <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Again, this guy's rap sheet is ridiculous. Yeah. And Nancy here in the chat room says a judge let him out to attend the birth of a child too. I assume it would be the birth of his own child.
3: Yeah, I believe he has a very young child, maybe even under a year old, um, that he was released to uh, be present for the birth. There was mention that the Department of Children and Family Services actually took a child into emergency custody that was living in his home. So it's possible that a a poor child was living amongst that terror.
0: Yeah, so he received this permission while on bail in December of 2017 to travel to Bay State Medical Center for the birth of his child, which is exactly the month and uh, place that my child was born uh, oh. <laughs> just a few months ago. So I could cross paths with this guy.
3: Yeah, So I say hi to him in the baby room. Yeah. <laughs> New dads.
0: Jesus.
1: So what he was on trial for, and um, who was it that said, uh, maybe I'm wrong in the chat room? Nancy. Nancy. It, maybe I'm wrong, but I I believe what he was on trial for was the incident that October where he uh someone had called in a report of him beating a woman and it was like 9:30 at night or whatever. So he was and I don't think they ever found the woman. I think she I think she ran off or something. It's just isn't that bizarre? Does anyone else find that bizarre that that a a man who's a multiple offender can be in there specifically for the purpose of beating a woman and the the, you can go and see the birth of your child
0: is there no punishment maybe the judge hopes that seeing the birth of your child will humanize you know this this offender a little bit and and maybe make them change their ways i don't know i mean that's speculation on my end too but um you know that that's from you coming from someone who doesn't have a kid maybe this judge does and is like oh that happened to him you know what i mean sure who knows
3: and, but I, I do see your point, like, he, he got in trouble so many times. It's just kind of amazing that, that he still had his freedom. You know, you get in trouble, you get parole or probation. Once you get in trouble again, it's taken a lot more seriously and you end up incarcerated. He just really seemed to have slipped through the cracks one too many times. Uh,
1: they put a GPS tracking device on him for this for that incident and he cut it off.
3: Right. How was he not sent right back to jail <laughs> for a long time? Like, that's that's serious. This is, I mean, in, this is a case that exemplifies why you should do that, why they should be sent right back if you're violating your parole or your probation in such a way.
0: Well, the world is a safer place today now that Stuart Weldon is off the streets. And same thing with the Scottsdale shooter. So, uh, so at least we have that, uh, you know, listeners and uh, followers of true crime and uh, current events.
3: It's nice when there's not a killer out there on the loose right you know? right i mean
0: i think that's what made the golden state killer case and and the book i'll be gone in the dark so terrifying is because you're reading it you know i'm i'm locking my doors at night like i'm double checking what... you didn't
3: lock your doors no i always oh, did my God. Oh, you but did? i would double
0: check them that's how <laughs> yeah. terrified i was of this yeah. book and this killer and i knew he was in his 70s seventies, if he existed still yeah. or if he was still you know alive or whatever
3: so many people that I know don't lock their doors or windows, and I was, I was always one to do that, but I'm, I'm more paranoid than ever these days.
0: I will say I did feel like unlocking them the day that he was caught. Actually, the last time we did one of these Facebook Lives that night, I was I, I, was, I felt so good about that <laughs> that I was like, you know what, I feel like unlocking my doors tonight, mm. but I didn't.
1: No, yeah. <laughs> don't, don't ever let your guard down.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yes, good point. Um, does anyone have anything else? Well, I just want
1: to let people know that we are aware of the unidentified body in uh, Mason City, Mason, the Mason County, oh, Iowa, Mason Iowa, City. Mason City, Iowa, the unidentified body that we're not saying anything here. But the description of this body and the time that the body has been um, there uh, was, I think, five to 15 years old and not the body itself, the time, the duration, the body was there and the description
0: matches uh, Maura Murray's. Okay.
3: And Brianna Maitland.
0: And Brianna Maitland. Right. Um, but, a, but a far stretch to, to believe that it's probably one of them. Could be, but... but, I, but I, yeah, just, yeah, you never know. Yeah, so... Um, but yeah, I just yeah. want to preface it if we're going to put it out there like that. I don't want people to be like, oh my God, it's Mara Yeah, or we, we
3: have no reason to think that it's them besides the fact that they meet those characteristics, um, especially given the location. I mean, I'd imagine that if Mora and Brianna are dead, they're probably in buried or disposed of in their respective states where they went missing that's just that's just my opinion
1: just to avoid confusion uh, the anthropologist determined that the remains had been there for five to 15 years believed to be from a white female between 20 to 45 years of age height between five foot to five foot seven inches so we've just been getting a few messages on that and it is on our radar
0: yes <laughs> Okay, so thank you everybody for tuning in to this special Facebook Live event here today on June 5th. We will be doing more of those. Maybe we'll try to do one a month, something like that. So uh, thank you very much.